Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Let me have my welcome. Great to see some guests with us tonight as well. Let me have my welcome. I'm Andy. Uh, I'm one of the ministers, and it's great to be speaking from Nehemiah 6. Some of you will have been with us on the journey as we've made our way through this series that we've called Rebuilding, thinking about lessons that we can learn from the story of Nehemiah, someone who God had led, given a vision to lead God's people in approximately the year 44. 5 BC, back to Jerusalem. God's people had been away in exile and he called them back to Jerusalem and he was leading a rebuild of the walls of Jerusalem. And as we come to chapter 6, there's some good news. The job is done, but there is also some intimidation and some threats. And it's not the first time that we've seen that as we've been following this story through. I wonder how many of you can remember this program. Give me a wave. You ever watch Gladiators? No, I recognise some of the younger ones here. It's sad for me now, because I actually, when I say some of the younger ones, it doesn't include me anymore. But um, some of the younger ones might not know this program, but it is brilliant. It's a brilliant program. And um, the idea, Saturday Night TV, basically, is that a number of contestants have to make their way through a number of challenges. Uh, challenges like climbing a wall. But they don't just climb the wall. They have a gladiator who's released just a couple of seconds after them, whose aim is to just make trouble for them, to get after them and to pull them down. Or some hoops that they have to make their way across with a pool underneath. But they don't just have to make their way across the pool. There is a gladiator coming from the other way who tries to grab hold of them, wrestle them and pull them down to the pool. It's, it's, a, it's a great program. And I did a bit more research about this, and I found out something really interesting, actually. Here we go. Um, here he is. Um, this is Calvin. He doesn't, uh, doesn't often wear shirts like that these days, but they've still got some guns under there. Now, in, in all seriousness, I was just thinking about Gladiator and how they had to get through challenge after challenge, intimidation after intimidation. And this really has been the experience of Nehemiah. He goes through one challenge. These characters have shown up several times, Sambalat, Geshem and Tobiah. And here they are again in chapter six, causing trouble, trying to intimidate, trying to disrupt and get in the way of what Nehemiah is called to do. We're going to finish our series in Nehemiah tonight, and I'd encourage you to have a look at the book further for yourself. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, do just look. Let me just give you the headlines on the remaining chapters. In the chapter we're looking at tonight, we will see the rebuilding of the wall. We'll see it is completed, but this is still with further opposition going on. As you look at chapter 7, you can read about the names of those who returned to Jerusalem as you look at chapter 8, you can read about the reading and the teaching of God's word at the heart of the community of faith once again, something that had previously been neglected. In chapter 9, you can read about the confession of sin and a prayer reflecting the journey of God's people. In chapter 10, you can read about the agreement or the covenant that God's people made to live God's, live God's way once again. In chapter 11, you can read about more people continuing to arrive in the restored city of Jerusalem. In chapter 12, you can read lots more tricky names, names of the priests and Levites and a special celebration that took place to celebrate the completion of the wall. But sadly, Nehemiah 13 ends on a bit of a downer. We read of Nehemiah having been away in Babylon, coming back to Jerusalem, but this time needing to correct and rebuke God's people who sadly had gone astray once again. But we finish our series 
with Nehemiah 6. The wall is finished. The wall's finished. I want to land the end of my message, just giving you a heads up. This is where we're going to finish. Uh, with the full version of that verse, which doesn't appear to be on that one, which says this. You can see it in front of you if your Bible is open. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The rebuilding of the walls was acknowledged that actually was God's work. It has been God who'd been helping his people. Although God is not always front and center in the Nehemiah narrative, his work is acknowledged and witnessed by those outside the community of faith. Firstly, though, I want to unpack and highlight to you some of the intimidation tactics that we see in Nehemiah chapter 6. And here's the three areas I want to highlight to you. And perhaps we can relate to them as well in our own lives. The work of the enemy, the work of the devil who would seek to disrupt and discourage us. Maybe we can relate to these three areas as well. Distraction, false accusation, and temptation. So the rebuild was complete. You'll see in verse 1, it tells us that. It was just the gates that were left to be hung. It tells us later that it was completed in its entirety. The historian Josephus records that many Jews lost their lives at the hand of their enemies in this period. And we come across further attempts to trick and even to kill Nehemiah in this week's chapter. Maybe we can relate to these three tactics. Let's have a look at them in a bit more detail. Firstly then, distraction. Apologies, the PowerPoint isn't working uh, in all of it, and it got half of it, so it will make sense as we go through as well. But first one, distraction. So his opponents, Sambalat and Geshem, they attempted at best distraction, but worst, a booby trap to kidnap or even murder Nehemiah. Four times they repeat this tactic in the first few verses. Verse two says, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, Ono, the suggested place of meeting, was about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, as, and it was somewhere that we might refer to as a no man's land between Judah and Samaria. Nehemiah was not distracted or deceived into doing something that firstly prevented him from doing the key thing that he was called to do, which was rebuilding the walls. And secondly, could and probably would have been harmful to him. So he replied clearly, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? That's verse three. He was not distracted. Now, I remember being a university student in Southampton and regularly being distracted. It's one of the real skills of uh, many, many students, and I acquired that skill, uh, particularly during essay writing season. Uh, and I remember often when it was essay writing season, uh, my friend would come and knock on my door who lived down the corridor and it would invite me to play corridor football. And I'd, I'd try and resist and try and say, no, not now. No, I'm not going to get distracted. Not now. But corridor football is a really good game. And it's a really good game, particularly in essay writing season. Uh, the aim of the game is to pass the ball up and down the corridor, but one touch only, and you're not allowed to hit the walls. And it was during essay writing season that we broke our record. We managed to do 100 one-touch passes. I can see you're impressed, Ben. 100 one-touch passes down the corridor. I was easily distracted. And in our opening verses, we see that 
his opponents were trying to distract Nehemiah for the important thing he was called to do. But Nehemiah did not get distracted for the vision that God had put in front of him. Take note, let's not get distracted from what God has called us to do as his people, as kingdom builders. Let's keep the most important thing, the most important thing. What is that? To love God and to love others. As a church, we often talk about our aim, which is to help people to commit to and become more like Jesus. Let's not get distracted from what God has called us to do. The second intimidation tactic was false accusation. There was an accusation of a revolt by Sambalat to Nehemiah via a letter in verses six and seven. Now, Nehemiah is now governor. Our chapter last week, verse 14, told us that. And he held this position for 12 years. This letter that was written was an attempted assassination of Nehemiah's character. This is what the enemy loves to do in the lives of believers today as well. Let us make sure we give him no grounds to accuse us and make sure in no way he uses us to spread false accusations. We want to live and have a culture of honour together as God's people, as believers in Jesus. This is what builds us up in our faith. It's great to regularly confess together, recenter ourselves on our faith in Jesus. It's through him that we can have confidence. Is there things we could be accused of? Yes, there is. Can we find grace and hope and forgiveness in Jesus? Yes, we can. Nehemiah, he was accused of building the walls of Jerusalem to help with a revolt. Well, why else would he be doing this? They accused him specifically of trying to become king and appointing prophets to proclaim him as king. You can see that in verse six and seven. But Sambalat kindly offered to meet together with Nehemiah. But Nehemiah knows what he's up to and Nehemiah directly replied to this. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Nehemiah perceived the danger and he cuts to the point. This is gobbledygook, made up rubbish. This was an attempt to frighten God's people, verse 9 tells us. But Nehemiah once again responds with a prayer. Now strengthen my hands. A simple and helpful prayer that we'll return to later. The second intimidation tactic then was false accusation. And the third is this, that of temptation. There was a conspiracy of deception by Shemaiah. You can read this in 10 and 11. A false prophet who'd specifically been hired by Tobiah and Sambalat, who lured Nehemiah into his home and told him that he should take shelter in the temple because others were coming to try and take his life to kill him. Now, the temple would have been a strong place, a safe place, a good call if you're seeking to find refuge with strong doors. It would have offered great protection. It was a good tactic. He was tempting Nehemiah to enter the temple and find refuge. But Nehemiah knew that access to the temple was reserved for the priests, for the Levites. And he was not tempted to sin and break the Mosaic law. He was not a priest and therefore he was not going to enter in. Nehemiah perceived what was happening and he didn't fall for it. To him, following God's way was even more important than his life. I wonder if we can perceive 
areas of temptation in our lives at the moment and have the strength and courage to resist with God's help. So we have these three areas, distraction, false accusation, and temptation. But Nehemiah was not intimidated, and he didn't fall for them. These areas, we talked about gladiators at the start. They weren't gladiators after him in that sense, but the enemies were trying to distract him, to pull him down, from stop him from pursuing the vision and goal in front of him. Distraction, false accusation, and temptation. But Nehemiah keeps going. He prays like we've seen many times. He prays like in chapter four, we saw him pray. He asked God to deal with those who opposed him. Verse 14. This includes the prophets, prophetess, Noadiah, and other supposed prophets who have also been conspiring against him. But despite the opposition, we read that the walls are completed in the impressive time of 52 days. Verse 15 tells us that. 52 days, the walls had been completed. And God's work was recognized by the opponents. Verse 16, the opponents, however, they don't give up here. And we see ongoing letters of intimidation and gossip by Tobiah. I want to focus now on verse 16, if your Bibles are still open in front of you, this is what it says again. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What a brilliant verse jumped out to me as I was reading this chapter and preparing this message. Throughout chapter six and the previous chapter two, we see that Nehemiah didn't engage and get drawn in. He stayed aware and he prayed. We can see him praying in verse 9 and verse 14 of our chapter. Him and God's people, they kept building. And then his enemies and those in surrounding nations saw and knew that actually it was God who was at work. Isn't that amazing? It's not alone in the big story of God's people. We see many examples of God's people faithfully continuing to work despite opposition, despite discouragement and eventually the work being acknowledged as God's work, as God being the one who is helping. Take Elijah, for example. Maybe you remember the story of Elijah having this sacrifice contest with the prophets of Baal, 400 of them and him. And the one true God is on his side. What's the reaction of the prophets of Baal when they are defeated? 1 Kings 18.39 says this. All the people saw this they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The enemies saw the work that God, who Nehemiah had repeatedly cried out to for help. He saw, they saw that work and they saw it was God who was helping them. Fearing God and not being self-confident, as it says in verse 16, are helpful responses to seeing God at work. Our God is the God who's to be feared, to be honored, to be revered. This is the God who is love, but is also the Lord Almighty. We too are not to be overconfident in and of ourselves and our standing before God, but find confidence in humbly coming to Father God through Christ. I mean, we so helpfully do as we worship together, as we celebrate communion together. Two weeks back, those of you who were here might remember that we thought about how we could be confident as those who are in Christ, those who are chosen, 
those who are adopted, forgiven, and secure. But all of that is because we are in Christ. Not self-confidence, but Christ-confidence, you could say. On another occasion in the Bible, we see Jesus kept going despite opposition. He kept going on his way to Jerusalem, despite the advice of his disciple, Peter, who thought he knew better. He kept going in the Garden of Gethsemane when he did have the option to run and to flee. He chose to keep quiet at his trial, despite the opportunity to speak out. He completed the task that he was called to do, crying out on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. Or some who were there saw and stood in awe. They saw as the building again, the rebuilding again of the friendship of sinful people like me and God was done. The work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The work was recognized too. Take the soldier at the foot of the cross who having witnessed Jesus die and the earthquake that accompanied this said, surely this man is the son of God. Paul writes in Philippians that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the presence of his enemies, it looked like Jesus was losing. As the soldier looked back, as many have looked back, as we've looked back, we've seen actually it was God's work. And one day everyone will see and acknowledge that Jesus really is the Lord. We see here that despite opposition or intimidation, God's work had been recognized in the story of Nehemiah, just like it was the story of Elijah, just like we see it has been and will go on being in the story of Jesus. Despite the work of the enemy in our world today, all will know and recognize Jesus as king. I encourage us to do that again tonight, to recognize Jesus as the one true king. Maybe you're here and you've never done that before. I'm going to say that Jesus is still in the business of rebuilding lives, of restoring lives, of individuals like many of us in this room finding hope and forgiveness and peace and life eternal in Jesus. Back to Nehemiah 6. I love the prayer in verse 9. The prayer that says, now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. Over the last uh, couple of years, I've been really learning to pray the Bible, not just to read the Bible, but to borrow phrases, to play them back to God, to own them myself as prayers. In verse 9, when the opponents were wanting God's people to feel weak, Nehemiah doesn't pretend that he isn't weak. And weakness is not a bad thing because even when we are weak, God can choose to work through our weakness. In fact, he often does choose to do that. And so we too can borrow the prayer, Lord, now strengthen my hands. What a prayer that we can pray. Lord, strengthen my hands as we seek to live for you and serve you and love you. Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. As we think about rebuilding as a church, that's what we've been thinking about, isn't it? As we think about rebuilding as a church, as we continue to be kingdom builders, let us pray, Lord, strengthen our hands and let our light shine before those around us in, in deeds, in words, 
in our thoughts. Lord, let your light shine. Not that we would look good, that we would be self-confident, but that God might get the glory, that he might be revered. That others would fear him and know him and want to know his power and majesty, that they would be able to come close to him as well, not in self-confidence, but in humility. We can keep going. Church, we can keep going, keeping what is important, the most important thing, loving God, loving others, helping others commit to and become more like Jesus. We can keep going. We can borrow from this prayer. I hope you've enjoyed the series in Nehemiah. I've learned a lot. I've really enjoyed getting into this book. There's seven more chapters. Do enjoy them in your own time. The God who was rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem is still at work rebuilding lives today, rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our collective life, building his kingdom in and through us. I'd like to invite the band to come back up. I'd like to lead us in a prayer, a prayer that we'll sing after, um, that we'll, we'll, we'll sing together after this prayer, but it's basically borrowing those words, Lord, strengthen our hands. If you're able to, could you stand with me as we pray? Maybe you want to make a mental note of this prayer and, and borrow it during the week as well. Now strengthen my hands. Let's pray. So Lord, in this season, as we are seeking to regather as church, we pray, Lord, strengthen our hands. Lord, as we seek to live for you on our front lines, letting our light shine before others who maybe we feel oppose you. We pray, Lord, strengthen our hands. Lord, as we seek to be a gospel people, sharing the hope that we find in you, Lord, strengthen our hands. Lord, when we feel weak, and maybe you're feeling weak this evening, we pray, Lord, strengthen our hands. Let me just leave a moment of quiet for you to borrow that prayer and pray it for your own context, for your own life. Lord, as those that want to live for you this week, strengthen our hands to live for you. Lord, we pray this because we want to see your kingdom established more and more. And Lord Jesus, we want you to get the glory. We thank you that you are building your kingdom. We pray you do that in and through us. Build your kingdom here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.